Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we're going to talk about what happens when a nation cancels God and kind of related to that, what happens when a culture abandons sources of authority and where we turn to. So Aaron, to kind of get us started today, how would you describe how we got to this place of such confusion and disagreement? We live in a country that is uh, increasingly confused about basic definitions of gender, uh, sexual uh, ethics, uh, the role of family and culture, the role of politicians in the state, the essential versus non-essential nature of the church. Um, there's a lot of fights taking place, as you know, in our in our day and age, especially in the past year, about these things. And there's been a lot of uh, lobbying and jockeying back and forth. Of course, the state right now has proclaimed itself to be the the ultimate authority over over all things, including the church and our our health, etc. We have an educational institution that has taken a very uh, hard line stand against traditional values. So, from the universities to the high schools to the to the elementary schools. Uh, these institutions have adopted a, a, a curriculum, an ideology, a, a worldview, if you will, to the exclusion of all others. And it has left so many people in our culture confused. And ultimately, I think what's happening in the West is we are experiencing a crisis of authority. The question is, who is our authority? Who determines how we should live, what we should believe, who determines values, morals, virtues, who determines all that? And historically, Western people, you know, even in our own country, understood that our ultimate authority is, is God expressing himself in scripture. Our laws are based upon scripture. Um, many of the aspects of our um, governmental structures, everything like uh, being accountable for your behavior, acknowledging the supremacy of God, um, democracy. These, all, these, these things are all sort of rooted in the hubris of um, uh, Christian history. So I think the reason why there's so much confusion, disagreement, people are at odds with each other. There's, I think we're on almost feels like at times on the verge of anarchy is because really what we're doing is we're, we're fighting for who our authority uh, ultimately is going to be for life, for the definition of what is real, what isn't real, uh, for the relationship with the church and state, for definitions of the family, et cetera. Yeah. What happens when a nation cancels God? Can you give us some illustrations of that happening? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you obviously sort of, you know, jumped ahead a little bit. Ultimately, the, um, uh, when a nation cancels God, basically it's it's canceling God as their authority, and it's replacing God's authority with some other form of authority. Well, if you cancel God, the only other place to really look is either to a false religion, a false god, which you know I think a minority 
in our country do look to false gods and false religions as their source of authority, but most people just look to one another or to themselves. And there's, we have people that are governing our country. We have people teaching in our institutions. We have people leading families that don't look to scripture, don't really care about scripture. Many of them are atheists or agnostics. They don't acknowledge the supremacy of God over life. So they're just kind of more or less staring at their own belly button to, to, um, you know, to determine what's right and wrong, how, how they should live. Yesterday on social media, I put out uh, a series of statements, uh, sort of illustrations of um, how a, a culture loses its mind when it, quote unquote, cancels God. And you know, I'll, I'll just share some of those. One of the things I'm seeing in culture is, you know, we live in a pro-abortion culture. Our own prime minister just said, I think it was this week, uh, you know, the liberals will always stand for the the rights of women to choose abortion, because right now there's a debate in our country about sex selective uh, abortion, which primarily means in certain ethnic communities a lot of girls get aborted, right? So he's responding to that. That's just the background. So we live in a culture where, where we're comfortable aborting our children, but then we're closing down our schools, which is ironic and nonsensical. We're closing down our schools where virtually no children anywhere in the country, I don't think any children, actually, if I, if I understand things correctly, I don't think any children from coast to coast who are healthy children have died from the COVID virus. But we're closing down our, our schools in a desperate attempt to protect our children from dying, but we abort our children? <laughs> you know, you see how foolish that is. It, it just, it's nonsense. Or we just came out with our MAID bill, uh, medical assistance in dying. So we're, we're euthanizing our elderly, our sick, but then we're locking down the world, locking down our country, rather, in order to protect primarily the elderly and the sick. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So we're, we're uh, on one hand, we're protecting the elderly and the sick through these draconian lockdowns. On the other hand, we're passing laws to allow the elderly and sick to experience medically assisted suicide. Uh, we have legislators that are, and I think you you know, because we've talked about this a lot, how it's impacted our church, legislators that are supposed to uphold the rule of law but then we have, in some jurisdictions, police officers entering churches violating the criminal code, which is part of our rule of law, you know, arresting, fining, and imprisoning clergy. So, you know, the, these are all, um, you know, among many other examples of just nonsense is taking place in our, our country where there's – it just seems like the nation has, you know, literally lost its mind – yeah, absolutely. There's so much insanity on various levels. I bet you could continue on. So like what else comes to mind when you think of like the insanity in every area? Well, one of the things we've heard from the pro-abortion rights activists for a long time is my body, my choice, my body, my choice, my body, my choice. This radical autonomy, I can do what I want with my body anytime, anywhere, anyhow, radical sexual promiscuity i can sleep with whoever i can experiment it doesn't matter there's no there's no holds it's a no holds barred approach to human uh pleasure and so so we have this radical message that 
you know, you are an autonomous being, you can do whatever you want with your body. And uh oh, uh, but we might mandate vaccines. Now, I know it, I understand it has not been passed yet, but there's a lot of talk about vaccine passports. If you're going to go to work, if you're going to travel, you have to have a vaccine passport. Well, that implies you have to have a vaccine. So it's, it, I would say the vaccination thing is a matter of uh, informed consent, s- study the information. You have to make your own decision on that and bear with the consequences either way. But the idea of, of, Mandatory vaccines in a my body, you know, my choice world, it, it's, 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 it's a contradiction. We also have increasing cancellation of dissent. So we have MDs, a doctor out in British Columbia, I think his name is Dr. Hool, who just came out with a, a letter, very concerned, addressed to the health unit out there, very concerned about uh, vaccination and, and some of the treatments. Um, we have, uh, JCCF just came out with a video, the justice center for constitutional freedom on the harms of lockdown that was just dropped from YouTube. Now these, this is an example of a doctor, you know, they push them aside, uh, a law, a series of lawyers, they push them aside. Of course, I've told you about the fact that, um, you know, my, my social media, one of my big social media accounts was canceled by big tech because of complaints or whatever it might be still haven't got that back so we have we're supposed to trust the experts right well there's experts speaking out from different fields not that i think of myself this way but i'm an expert in church life theology dealing with people dr Hool's an expert in medicine the jccf people are experts in law but but if you don't follow the cultural narrative you get canceled and this is in a culture that prides itself in free speech. Um, One of the other things is science, science, science being sort of um, almost like the the, the ultimate form of truth, science. If you can study the sciences, then, you know, you – this is the, the, um, the purest, most unadulterated, most objective kind of truth. And we're supposed to agree with all the state medical experts, but then on something as as scientifically basic as the fact that there's people with XY chromosomes and people with XX chromosomes, and there's therefore males and females, well, no, that's just a con, it's just a sociological construct and this kind of thing. Yeah, we're seeing the, the cancellation of this right. happen close to home. You know, it's one thing when a YouTube video from the States, a big name that we don't know, uh, gets canceled and it's kind of isolated. We're insulated from it, but we're seeing even people, medical community or medical people in our own community get censored, get, um, you know, pushed out of their positions because of wanting to speak for truth. And I think just for our listeners to know, that's a very real thing. It's coming very close to home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they have not experienced it, it's going to continue to happen. And, and if you think about it, why why are we opposed to dissenting opinions? These, these are words. Hey, nobody's shooting anybody, running on the streets with machetes, killing people. This this is just sharing of ideas and words. And yeah, some ideas can be destructive and to be wrong. But I, I've often said, if you want to hear from wise people, you also have to leave room to hear from fools. So let's assume that everybody who, for a moment, let's assume I'm a fool. Let's assume everything I'm saying right now is just drivel. It's falsehood. 
it's not helpful. Fair enough. If you don't let me speak, then you're not going to be able to hear from wise people to rebut me and to correct me. So there, it doesn't actually benefit people to, you know, cancel and shut down and um, censor free speech in, in our country, and of course in con- you know other Western countries, United States and, and Western Europe. Our forebears shed their blood so that people could actually stand on podiums and platforms and behind pulpits and speak their mind. And this is a healthy thing when you know what people are are. Uh, when you know what people believe, you can then push back. So this this is a concern. Um, some other things that I have been thinking about. We have um, the uh, Bill C six, which is the conversion therapy bill. Uh, by the way. Pardon me, I didn't follow the news. Did that pass yesterday? Or are we still waiting on that? I believe it's waiting till tomorrow that they're okay. voting. I think. I, th- I think I'd heard through the grapevine. I, I, I should I should know that on a podcast like this, but I, I'd heard there might be a slight delay in that. But the conversion therapy bill. I mean, essentially, the way this is going to be used is to ban counseling sexually confused people. But then we're investing millions of dollars in social workers, mental health, psychiatrists, sociologists, etc. Of course, all the state experts, because the state always knows best. And if you're a state employee, you know you you get certified too, right? So the state's taking control of all that. But we're not allowing pastors and Christians, or at least they say they will, but I can guarantee they won't. It'll only take one lawsuit to get rid of that. Uh, they don't want pastors and therapists sitting down and talking people who are sexually confused about their biological gender um, to live in light of their biology and in light of how God has created them. Um, That should concern us. Uh, We have, we've talked a little bit about the censorship of free speech, but I want to kind of talk about this from an educational perspective. Um, Universities are pretty influential in terms of shaping, you know, the professional class in our culture, the, the, the thinkers, the intellectuals. And in university faculties across our nation, they've essentially been hijacked by, you know, a hodgepodge of sloppy thinkers, uh, including most notably cultural Marxists, right? And Marxism, by the way, has been, has been tried. It's been attempted. And it's failed miserably um, in history. It's, it presents itself as as a solution to human suffering and talk, you know, presents this, this uh, utopian vision of uh, equality. And it, it's just an atrocious, godless, senseless worldview that, that fails and um, very totalitarian, by the way. So Can this you is just the, define those terms for our listeners real quick. Like when you say cultural Marxism, totalitarian, I, I think we've used those words a lot. Sure. We know what they mean, but just for our listeners quick. Yeah. Well, obviously Marx was the um, main thinker when it comes to Marxism. Essentially it's, it's a, it's a totalitarian um, form of government that uh, carries with it this notion uh, there, there is no God. God is the problem. Uh, authority structures are the problem. The bourgeois are the problem. Kings and emperors are the problem. The, this, the solution, 
and this spills over into communism, is this flattening of authority, this uh, removal of hierarchy, this diminishment of uh, you know anybody that that carries power, and and the state sort of becomes your your god. The state controls. The state is your your you know benevolent um, dictator, essentially controlling culture, controlling life, and they do it for supposedly for your good. So flatten the economy, flatten authority structures, um, presenting this radical egalitarian viewpoint, but someone's got to control all that. So what inevitably happens is the people that are controlling and promoting this utopian vision of the future become totalitarian in their control. So instead of working for your benefit, they totally control culture, life, faith, perspectives on things, educational institutions, et cetera. So, so in an attempt to free the world from systems and structures that supposedly oppress, you adopt this Marxist worldview, you then put the power in the hands of those that are the primary catalysts for this worldview, and they start to control you. So they, you're, you, you essentially create – the, the ideology and those that are controlling the ideology become your gods and your priests, right? They, they control your life. And um, Marxists are dominating our, our university faculties. They dominate the social work faculties. My daughter dropped out of the local university's social work program essentially because she's sick and tired of the Marxism and, and, and all that kind of stuff and the cancel culture and – that gets tied in with other radical agendas, godless agendas, the LGBTQ agenda and, and these sorts of things. So it, it's maybe just to summarize it, what concerns me about this is these liberal viewpoints, these leftist viewpoints all exist under the false premise that they stand for freedom and equality and they lead to the exact opposite. They lead to uh, oppression, um, cancel different opinions, cancel free speech. They force a worldview and their values upon you, you know, contrary to your own conscience. It sounds like going right back to the garden, really the very lie and deception that Adam and Eve first believed of truth and knowledge, like that they would know more. And then they actually were enslaved to sin as a result. And we see that it's amazing how humans are so fallible to fall for the same play yeah. over and over and over again. Uh, we see this probably in many other areas like education you mentioned. Um, are there any other areas you're thinking? Well, when I was in school in the 70s and 80s, I'm talking about public school. Um, I wouldn't send my kids to public education today, by the way. I think it's at least mildly irresponsible to do so. Maybe, and that's as kind as I can be. Um, but we used to pray the Lord's Prayer. And you know, there, there's a debate whether or not you should have non-believers praying a prayer that goes no higher than the ceiling because, you know, they're just going through the words and you can create sort of fake false Christians. And, and I understand all that. That should be given some consideration. But if the Lord's Prayer was simply a declaration of truth, I think fewer people would oppose it. And in some ways, it is functioning that way, or at least it functioned that way in public education. It functioned as a, functioned as a pedagogical tool, a teaching tool. 
where at the beginning of every day, the young mind would acknowledge through the vehicle of the Lord's Prayer that there's a God, that he's our provider, that there's a devil that wants to tempt us, that we should rely upon God for forgiveness. So these basic principles, again, you can debate whether you whether you should be praying the Lord's Prayer and not, not even be a Christian. But these principles were constantly put before you. And society decided that was unacceptable. So they removed the Lord's Prayer from schools because they don't want to offend people of other perspectives now. What do we have now flying in the flagpoles of our schools? Gay pride flag, gay pride month. That offends me. That offends many people. But it's, it's nouveau, right? It's in style. It's the thing to do. But it's contradictory. Now, now, what this reveals is that education has to serve some God. Um, education presupposes there's truth. Truth presupposes there's an authority. <laughs> Where does the authority come from? Some sort of a code, some sort of revelation, some sort of human insight or divine revelation. Deep down, human beings know that, that when you're going to teach, you have to presuppose an authority. We used to presuppose the Christian God. Therefore, we had the Lord's Prayer in our school. Now we presuppose human beings are gods. And we're primarily concerned with our own pleasure and delights. The radical sexual agenda reflects that. So we have a, a new creed in the form of a rainbow flag being flown in our schools and all the ideologies of that are included in the sexual education curriculum. So that's a concern. I also mentioned to you earlier on, I, I referenced in my preliminary comments about the sex-selective abortion. Um, some of our political leaders are saying, no, we need to at least put – so we have no abortion laws in Canada, none. So it's just have at her. So there's no abortion laws. And – some have suggested, okay, well, we need to at least start put some checks and balances in place. So this is a private member's bill, which is basically suggesting there should be a, a ban on sex-selective abortion. So you shouldn't be able to abort just based upon, oh, it's a female and I wanted a male. You know, I don't, I don't need another daughter. I'm going to have a son. So we're going to abort. So a politician in Canada, I can't remember their name, put, put forward this private member's bill and they basically said, we should at least put this check and balance on it. Trudeau's, nope, no, we're not doing it. Now, the problem is this primarily targets females because sex, sex-selective abortion is almost always to get rid of female babies rather than male babies. And at the same time, there's all these campaigns, you know, and violence against women, women's rights, on and on and on and on. But it, it almost like it doesn't seem to apply until you're you're breathing air, you know, in the atmosphere. Mm. I, I would just say this is another example of a culture that's lost its mind. It just, just doesn't make any sense. It's just very confused. So we're elevating the the value of women outside of the womb, but diminishing the value of women inside the womb. But that's what we should expect when people just kind of do what's right in their own eyes. We have you know, other things. These lockdowns are devastating all kinds of people. I mean, we even have – we have 
in order to keep people, supposedly to keep people safe, we're closing small businesses, which are just run by families or groups of families. Small businesses are basically anybody that has under under 99 employees. Most of them have four or five, six, 10, 12 employees. We're closing them down to keep people safe, but then we're forcing people into packed big box stores. I mean, you can't tell me there's no corporate influence on that. Because from a just from a logical perspective, it doesn't even make sense. I don't know if I told you, Chris, back last year when I was speaking to some of the Orthodox Jews in Toronto, they were telling me that they didn't have much COVID in their community because people live within walking distance of a synagogue. They shop at business A, B, and C, then they come home. And so they're sort of functioning more or less in a closed network. The government comes in, shuts their businesses down, forces them to go to the big box store. Now they're bringing COVID back into the community. Wow. So even in terms of government policy, and it, it might seem hard to maybe make the connection between denying God and, and just bad public policy, but I think there is a connection. And that people's, it's like their intellectual capacity is reduced. They stop thinking clearly. They start making contradictory uh, decisions. And, and and this is, you know, obviously a... a a concern for us and, um, you know, something that we want to speak out against. Absolutely. Now we have more even that I'm sure is going on in our culture. Uh, it seems to have infected every single area of, of life, the insanity of living with contradictory truths, um, Mm -hmm. that just go back and forth against one another. Do you have a few more that you could share with us? Well, we've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, We live in a culture that declares the supremacy of God in the preamble to our charter, but then the one dominant or predominant uh, organization that, or institution, we should say, that's probably a better word, that's forcibly closes the church. The first person that I know that's done significant time for reopening something that shouldn't be open is a Christian pastor in our country. So we're, we're saying, oh, yeah, we, we love God and, you know, we recognize the supremacy of God, but we're going to close his embassy. Um, we claim to be a culture that advocates for human freedoms, but then we toss protesters uh, in jail or fine them for simply protesting for their rights. We have um, a huge emphasis on, on anti-racism in our culture, but we're almost creating racism. So, you know, obviously Christians should be against racism. Although I've talked about the the, the, the downsides of that very word in the past, because really there are no races. They're just different ethnoi or ethnic groups. And we're all different shades of brown from cream color to dark brown. We're just all, we're not all different. We're not really that much different, but we have um, – uh, an emphasis on anti-racism, anti-racism, but then what we're doing is we're we're pushing aside whites, prim- primarily people of lighter skin, and telling them to step aside. And you know, we have government agencies and significant employers saying, you know, we we don't want you. This is not equal opportunity for all. So we're almost. And there's all kinds of sophisticated reasons for that. Well, they're historically white Europeans are the oppressors, and they've kind of had their time in the limelight, and 
you know, uh, they, they need to apologize. There's all kinds of sophisticated reasons for it. I've, I've heard them all. I'm familiar with them. I don't think they hold any water. But the point is we're trying to be um, – we're trying to stop racism – but we're becoming racist. By the way, the antidote to racism is the proclamation of the gospel to all nations, that God loves the world, that all people are made in the image and likeness of God, and that God wants to redeem a people from all tribes, tongues, and nations unto himself. Very simply, that's the answer to racism. You, if you understand that and you actually live that out, life is going to improve significantly. Um some others that I had presented include the anti-bullying campaign. So we're, we're big into anti-bullying campaigns in Canada. But we, I mean, we're bullying, we're shaming, we're publicly calling people names that disagree with um, government decisions uh, pertaining to the lockdown. Again, it just doesn't make sense. We're saying on one hand, we shouldn't bully, we shouldn't harass, we shouldn't shame, but then we're bullying, harassing, and shaming people that are speaking out against lockdowns. Yeah. We see all kinds of problems. The church sees those problems, uh, and the world, frankly, does not have solutions that fix the problem. They just create more problems because they're void of the gospel. Can you speak to how the church can best protect against this. And then we're going to talk about some other things as well, but speak to the, these, these really lies that culture has believed and kind of this battling truths that they kind of live with two lies coexisting. Do you see that happening in the church? And do you see some areas where we, we should be addressing this? Well, the church definitely is, is affected by culture, but what we really want to do is create churches that are affecting culture. So it's, it's, we're either going to affect culture or culture is going to affect us. And there's always going to be a little bit of that both ways, but primarily the church, if the church believes that is worshiping the true God, has a handle on truth because we have scripture and are led by the Holy Spirit, we should shape culture in a way that brings blessing to the nations. In Psalm 33, 12, it says, blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that's true throughout history. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Notwithstanding the abuses and the false kinds of Christianity that many people have promulgated, if, if a nation is to be blessed, it needs to acknowledge the Lord. So as we preach, as we live out our faith, as we stand for uh, biblical human rights, as we speak out against lies, we stand for uh, value and virtue, live out our faith in the public square, we really can make a difference. How do we know that? Because we used to do that. And if you look at um, just just one small point, I don't know of any democracy, for example, which tend to be freedom-loving nations, uh, I don't know of any democracy anywhere in the world that's ever arisen from a non-Christian nation. So... If you there, there's no democratic nations that have risen up in an, in an, in and as a result of Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, secularism, atheism, Marxism, communism, Christian nations are the ones that have been blessed by democracy, which is the notwithstanding its flaws, is the system that is most likely to provide freedom, equality, um, employment, uh, etc. So 
uh, we, we really can make a difference if we just simply live out our faith in the public square. And I think, could you just take a moment to explain, we use the language of vertical, like we're a vertical church here, uh, and we use the language of horizontal. And so we have churches that are very active horizontally often, uh, but sometimes lacking vertically, and then some that maybe say they're vertical, but are less horizontal. Can you just explain those terms? Well, when we talk about vertical in our church, we, we're just simply saying the mission of God is the glory of God. We want everything that we do to honor and glorify God, but then we qualify with the word ultimately, ultimately. When we honor and glorify God ultimately, which is that vertical vision of making sure everything we do points to him, makes him famous, glorifies his name, presents him to the nations, acknowledges him as king, there is also there is a, a horizontal benefit to that. The horizontal benefit is, you know, marriages are healed, economies improve, um, there's less war, there's less rape, lying, theft, all these kinds of things as people surrender themselves to the true king. That's like a, a benefit, um, what would be the word, a, a byproduct of that vertical vision. Whereas historically, sometimes the church has got this wrong. Like in the, in the 1960s with the rise of the social gospel, it was like this notion that, well, the, the role of the gospel is just simply to kind of correct society and correct social injustices and all that. But people forgot to preach the gospel. So lives might have been improved. People might have been fed, but everybody still sort of dies and goes to hell right? Because they don't know Christ and they haven't surrendered themselves to him. So we want to be vertically motivated, but there's a horizontal blessing. We don't want to just be horizontal, just sort of looking at life under the sun and not pointing people to the true source of freedom and hope, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So the church obviously wants to continue to stay centered on the gospel and not look to the world for informing its moral values and what is right and wrong, especially in a time when they're living in such uh, disillusion, living in, in so many lies. Um, our nation has certainly canceled God in many ways, and we are seeing the effects of that all around us. Can you speak to anything in the news lately that, or is there anything that's come up in the news lately that has uh, kind of stood out to you and maybe comes along in this kind of vein of thought? Well, again, I, I, I had my Facebook account canceled. And I just haven't been able to recover that. I'm still hoping I – it's not the end of the world, right? It's not like I'm relying upon Facebook. But it is a tool. You get used to using a tool to get your message out, and that's been canceled and doesn't seem at this point to be recoverable, but who knows. Um, Heritage Seminary, Heritage College and Seminary up in Cambridge, I'm, I'm concerned about some of their decisions. Um, a couple of their profs have spoken out pretty loudly in the news – against churches that have tried to stay open. And in my view, while I disagree with those perspectives, you know, people have the right to free speech. We can then challenge and debate. But where I think they've played dirty pool is a friend of mine who teaches there as an adjunct faculty member just received a phone call. I think it was yesterday. And they asked, they basically asked him to step, step aside from the, the, the class he was planning on teaching this fall because he, you know, said Trudeau hates Christians and they challenged him according to him and his tone and, um, you know, his uh, accused him essentially. And another source told me they accused him of, of slander. Now, uh, wh why this is of concern for me, I've had a relationship with Heritage for 30 years. 
um, I counted 11 of my immediate family members have been our students at Heritage. I, I taught at Heritage. I helped start their Windsor and Michigan extension site years ago. You look at their doctrinal statement, it doesn't say anything that uh, that that says, you know, you, you have to take this particular socio-political viewpoint or else you have to hold to a particular view on 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 lockdowns or government. I know heritage in the past has allowed for a lot of latitude outside of their core doctrine on uh, disputable matters. But it seems that, in my view, uh, they're only allowing for one side to be heard and claiming a certain form of neutrality, but really uh, really not allowing for that. Um, a friend of mine, Joe Boot, who runs the Ezra Institute, historically had an agreement with Heritage that if students took courses at his institute, they could transfer some credit to Heritage. It never happened until recently. And then when a student requested opportunity to transfer credit, you know, he received correspondence that says, you know, you basically hold to a different socio-political viewpoint. So my concern with Heritage is that, um, and, I, and I would remind anybody connected with Heritage, you serve the purposes of your constituency. And um, it's really not fair to allow a handful of people who hold to a particular viewpoint in a very disputable uh, point in Christian history in our country in particular, where there's a lot of different opinions and a lot of different feelings to be expressed to be canceling people and to be allowing some to speak in a way that is a little more than mildly offensive, but allowing others to forcing others to be silenced because you don't like their tone. And after all, ministers of the gospel shouldn't be quarrelsome and, th and this kind of stuff. That's, that's, that's a very subjective accusation to make. I think a, a 40, 50, 60 year old man has the capacity to analyze his own intentions and to make that decision for himself rather than to be forced into a situation where other people determine when you've crossed the line in the area of tone or being quarrelsome. So that's of concern for me. And we're seeing this increasingly in Christian institutions um, and even churches where, you know, this, this cancel culture, well, you, you got to hold to our particular ideology or our, our particular agenda. Many of these institutions fly the flag of neutrality, but when you look at their actions, they're not neutral at all. We had disputes with the Gospel Coalition in Canada about this last year, where they repeatedly said, well, we're, we're neutral on lockdowns. But every single article, pretty much, I think without exception, is essentially uh, promoting one side of the argument, and the other side is not being heard. And I, I have respect for an organization or institution that just says, look, this is our opinion, this is our position, this is our stance, this is how we're running this play, like it or lump it. What I don't have a lot of respect for is uh, uh, any institution, Christian or otherwise, that that pretends to be neutral on things, but only allows one side to speak and the other side gets canceled. I, I also don't have a lot of respect for institutions, you know, when they're under pressure or under the heat to suddenly, you know, change their opinion and say, well, that now, okay, now, you know, we're, we're taking the heat. So now we're going to allow for both sides to be heard. Be principled. You know, again, if you think you're wise and your opponent is a fool, let the fool speak because that in and of itself will make you look wiser. But if you just cancel the person that you think is the fool and 
you know, you play little games going after the tone, et cetera, you're not winning. Okay, you're 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 taking sides. Um, you're demonstrating, I think, a, a certain judgmental attitude, a, a certain, pardon my language, small mindedness, uh, a protectionistic viewpoint is a concern as well, because many of the people that make these decisions are tied to churches that have also made similar decisions, so they're not really objective in in their considerations. So play fair, play fair would be my plea, and there's room for. Uh, forgiveness, of course. There's room for apologies to be issued. There's room for differences of opinion. But this idea of you know controlling people in the peripherals and uh, you know allowing uh, one viewpoint to be stated, but not allowing other viewpoints to be stated. I don't. I don't have a. I don't have a lot of respect for that. So this is something we need to avoid. Um, one other thing I'll just say, I was driving to church last Friday, and this is sort of a, maybe a good place to end this. And I just thought to myself for the first time in a year, I, I think I might almost miss all this when it's over with. And I, I think that's maybe a, um, an example of where the Lord has been working in my life. I'm grateful for the lessons that we're learning. I'm grateful for all the, even in spite of all the heartache and frustration, I'm grateful that so many people are being impacted, lives are being transformed. Um, there's a, a winnowing that's taking place in the church. I'm not optimistic that we're going to come out of this with a united church. I think the, the church is going to be divided on this matter for many years to come. And, But I, I really hope that the Lord will um, uh, r- raise from the ashes, so to speak, a faithful church that is willing to engage with culture and uh, you know, be more serious about Christian engagement, law, education, politics, et cetera, so that not only would God be glorified, but the nations might be blessed. Thank you for your time, Aaron. Appreciate this podcast. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners have as well. And if you have, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it and share it on social media. And we will, we will see you back here next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.